Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This evening, we begin our look at the second article of the Apostles' Creed. The article, which takes up the most space in the Creed, as it confesses the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is appropriate, as we begin, that we confess together this article of the Creed and its meaning. And at this point, I am reminded that I forgot to ask you to turn there beforehand, so now I will ask you to turn to the Catechism in the front of your hymnal on page 300 and something, 322. And so let us confess it uh, as, as I lead. What is the second article? And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious, and with, and with his innocent sufferings and death, that I may be his own, and live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. The Apostles' Creed, unlike the Nicene Creed does not spend much time speaking of the Son before his incarnation. Its primary purpose is not to confess the relationship of the Son to the Father, but to confess what God in Jesus Christ has done for us and for our salvation. Because of this, when we look at the Creed over the next two weeks, we will focus on the two states of Christ's incarnation, the state of humiliation and the state of exaltation. The incarnation is, of course, that blessed doctrine that the eternal Son of God, who is eternally begotten of the Father, who has always existed and through whom all things were made, assumed a human nature in time in the womb of his mother, the Virgin Mary, in order to save us. Thus, we have in Jesus Christ a mystery beyond all telling, one that we can never praise enough because of what he has accomplished through it. 
In Jesus, there is one person with two natures, so that Jesus Christ is both perfect man and perfect God. Confessing his humanity, St. Paul writes, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. But confessing his divinity, he writes, For in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Luther in the small catechism, as we confessed earlier, beautifully summarizes the incarnation in this way. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. It is within the incarnation that we speak of the states of the humiliation and the exaltation. Using the framework of the creed, we explain it in this way. The state of the humiliation consists of everything in the life of Jesus Christ from his conception to his death. Or, in the words of the Creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The exaltation is everything which comes after he completed his work of salvation upon the cross. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. The humiliation has ended, but the exaltation is ongoing and will never end. This evening we will focus on the state of the humiliation. First, what it is not. His taking on of flesh is itself not a part of the humiliation. If that was the case, then in the exaltation, our Lord would no longer have flesh or have a human nature, but he does. Our Lord Jesus is still perfect man, and he will be so forever. So the incarnation does not begin with the human. So the humiliation does not begin with the incarnation, but the state of humiliation begins once he has become incarnate. We are speaking only of Jesus. Christ, the one who is God and man in one person, when we speak of the humiliation and exaltation. So what is the humiliation? Our second reading from Philippians chapter 2 describes it beautifully. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. When Paul writes Christ Jesus being in the form of God, he makes it clear that everything that he is going to say, he is saying about the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. He, Jesus Christ, is one person who is God and man one person. He is in the form of God, because what we say of one nature, we can say of the whole person. A few examples to help clarify this. The Virgin Mary did not give birth to the human nature of Jesus, but she gave birth to the person of Jesus. Natures are not born, people are. Thus, she is rightly called the mother of God because Jesus is both God and man. 
Likewise, we do not say that the human nature died on the cross, but the person of Jesus died on the cross. Natures don't die, people do, persons do. Thus, we can say, as we did in our opening hymn, O deepest dread, our God is dead. God can't die, but Jesus Christ is both God and man in one person. And so the one person, Jesus Christ, whom Paul confessed is in the form of God, died. Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. This phrase is troubling at first or confusing when we first hear it, that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It can also be translated, as some other translations do, saying, did not consider being equal with God a thing to be grasped. That is, the person, Jesus Christ, because of his divine nature, he is equal with God. He is in the form of God. Yet, in his earthly life, he did not make use of his divine nature for his own self-glory. He did not grasp at that for himself, although possessing it. Paul makes this clear when he says, He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. This is the core of the state of the humiliation of our Lord. He, though equal with God and always possessing the fullness of the divine power, glory, majesty, and might, did not make use of this at all times. He was not born shining and glowing with a resplendent light as he did on the Mount of Transfiguration. No, he made himself of no reputation. Hear this clearly. His divine nature did not change. Indeed, it could not change. If his divine nature changed, he would no longer be God, because God does not change. He, while being in the form of God, did not make full use of or display this fact. Instead, he lived and was seen by all as a man. No one looking at Jesus would say, Ah, this here is obviously the Son of God. This one is divine. No, they would see a man as any other Indeed, Isaiah prophesied, he has no form of or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That is, he did not display his perfect beauty or glory, which he had because of his divinity. He did not want to draw others to himself in this way. No, instead of appearing in the form of a glorious and beautiful king, he appears in the form of a bondservant, a slave coming in the likeness of men. He had the form of a bondservant because that is what his life and ministry required of him. The Son of Man did not come to be served, our Lord said, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes, that is why he came. That is why he took on flesh. That is why, after assuming a human nature, he did not make full use of or display his divinity, but lived and appeared as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. This could not have happened in any other way, brothers and sisters. Just think about it. If he had come to earth only as Peter, James, and John had seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration, so that all who saw him saw his glory and power, 
his redemptive obedience in his life, sufferings, death, and resurrection, as the Gospels record it for us, would have been impossible. If he had come in that way, all people would have flocked to serve him. If he had come in that way, men and women from the world over would have sought him out to render him worship, to serve him by their works and by their gifts, to prove to him their devotion. They would do all of this, yet there would be no sacrifice for sins. They would come to him, cringing before him because of his power and might, but their sins would prevent them from having communion with him. This is why he came as he did. Indeed, he came like this for you. He came not thinking of himself, but of you. He did nothing in his life and ministry and death out of selfish ambition or conceit, but he did so out of lowliness of mind. He did not come looking out for his own interests, but out of the interests for others. This is why he was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, so that he could save you. Yes, he who was in the form of God, who had equality with God, became a servant for you, to die for you. He gladly and willingly went for you. He went to the cross knowing the great shame and agony that would come with it for you. Because in the cross, he who is of infinite worth, who lived a life of perfect obedience, took all of your sins upon himself, so that by his death he might make satisfaction for them, that he might redeem us lost and condemned persons, that he might satisfy God's wrath over our sin by the innocent shedding of his precious and holy blood. Here, brothers and sisters, hear of his love for you prophesied by Isaiah. Hear how clearly God speaks and how he says that this was done for you, for your sake, so that you might be saved, that he might rescue you from your sins and the punishments that you have merited for yourself by them. Hear how he has made peace with God for you. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he has put him to grief. Why? Because he has made his soul an offering for sin, so that by his knowledge, says the Lord God, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He has done this that you may be justified, that you may be made righteous. And indeed, by faith in him you are justified. By trust in him and what he has done for you, you are clothed with his righteousness as a garment. Your sins are forgiven, and you are given the promise of eternal life and the resurrection from the dead, just as he too was raised from the dead three days after his own death. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, 
and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Here the Lord God promises that even as his son would humble himself, so too he would be exalted because of what he had done. And Paul proclaims this as well. Therefore God has also highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The day will come when the Son returns in glory, in his exalted state, and all shall see him. On that day all will bow and confess the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. On that day those who do not believe, who have spurned his love, and have spurned him and rejected him and his offering for their sin, they will kneel before him as defeated enemies. Yet those who have trusted in him for salvation, who have forsaken every other help and means of salvation and relied solely on him because of what he has done, who have loved his appearing even when he came with no beauty that we should desire him, they shall kneel willingly in thanks and praise to him who has saved them, in worship to him who is God and man in one person, who humbled himself to save us by his death. May God grant each of us such faith, and may he preserve it within us until our death, through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, and our Savior. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen. Amen.